You're listening to L&D in Action, winning strategies from learning leaders. This podcast, presented by Get Abstract, brings together the brightest minds in learning and development to discuss the best strategies for fostering employee engagement, maximizing potential, and building a culture of learning in your organization. This week, I have two guests, Mark Zhao Sanders, CEO and founder of Filtered, and Thomas Bergen, CEO and co-founder of Get Abstract. Thomas started Get Abstract nearly a quarter of a century ago and has since become a renowned expert on leadership and learning in his own right. Mark is a strategist turned learning technologist and writer specializing in productivity and habit formation. His company, Filtered, is a tech firm dedicated to helping organizations get the best return on their L&D spend. This conversation initially took place as a live session during the penultimate week of Get Abstract's hashtag GetAI campaign. This campaign, which is live through December 2023, made about 100 summaries and other learning resources totally free on the GetAbstract platform. The goal is to demystify the fourth industrial revolution by making high-quality information on artificial intelligence, machine learning, and automation a little more accessible. GetAbstract.com slash GetAI if you want to check it out yourself. Now, let's dive into the show. Hello again, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for our second to last session of the Get AI campaign. We're talking about the real world impact of artificial intelligence today. And today I have with me Thomas Bergen and Mark Zhao Sanders. Thank you guys for joining me today. Nice to be here, Tyler. We are gonna jump right in with some questions about all the things that are happening right now in the world that are developing new technologies, as well as those things that have been around for a while already, the things that are kind of subtly in the background, um, working in our businesses and in our everyday lives and the AI that's there. But uh, there was one specific topic that that Thomas was most passionate about. So I'd kind of like to start there, if you don't mind, Thomas. Um, You talked about Conmigo and the fact that in the future, we could all potentially have our own little AI tutors. And the fascinating thing to me is that as of November of last year, everybody born after that date, theoretically, you know, they're after chat GPT, they're after this rise of chatbots. And it almost feels like, is this, you know, could this generation in fact be born into this world where we have these virtual, digital, artificially intelligent learning assistants? So I'd love to hear your take on what's going on there. One thing I was always interested in is in in tutoring, in tutoring children to help them learn faster. And what um, science has proven that if you have a one-to-one tutoring, the probability that you are above average or or even a good student is dramatically higher. I think it's shifting two sigma curves um, to the right if you have a one-to-one tutoring. this is a very intensive job. Um, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of time. And um, and we started even at home during Corona, a little tutoring um, a company, and uh, it's still running. It's a, it's a nice endeavor. My son started it. And um, But um, now when I've seen Khan Migo the first time live, Khan himself was presenting uh, it in St. Gallen at the conference where I was speaking, I said, that's it now. That's exactly what I was looking for. That's exactly now helping students, K-12 mostly until now, um, um, to democratize somehow um, the access of tutors. And um, 
I'm a little bit sad that uh, you are charging now 20 bucks per month for, for that service. I would have seen that rather uh, giving it for free, but um, but that obviously it's much cheaper than what you are paying normally for uh, getting access to a tutor. And uh, obviously that's only a first step. It's only a first step. Thomas, what do you think about, um, so I'm gonna take the other side. I mean, of course, you know, we're really taken with um, the developments recently. I am personally, my company is, we've incorporated GPC4, so we're fans as well. But to just offer a an alternative take, with with tutoring, one of the benefits of having a tutor, which I agree is the most or one of the most powerful ways of learning, is that you the tutor can pick up on all sorts of subtle cues. So you know body language, um, uh, timing. It's not just that sort of the text and the words that are being um, uttered. Now, of course. AI might get to those sorts of inputs um, in the not too distant future, but right now it can't do that. So do you think that, um, do you think that, well, it is huge because those inputs are gonna be coming and so we'll get all of those benefits as well? Or do you think there are some um, limitations that might be felt for some time to come? Uh, Mark, I, I don't know, but what I, what I definitely think about that is the following. Um, there are some aspects, AI and an AI tutor, uh, the way I've seen it right now, is inferior to a personal tutor that really is helping over, over years, for example, if you have a personal relationship and uh, it, it's growing. But what you are seeing on many tutoring platforms where you buy 20, 25, 35 bucks an hour to have a tutor, um, very often you have a changing tutor and he doesn't and it's as well only an online interaction 90 percent of tutoring right now um, is done online and um, those subtle um, signals that you could perceive if you are together with a tutor in the same room are mostly not perceived by the other side because you're sharing a screen where you're working on your picture is a very small one I think I think AI doesn't have such a big disadvantage and the, the advantage that it has AI if you're working closely from the very beginning it starts to understand how you are ticking what what how you what, what are the problems really? And it goes back to the basics of the problems. It, and it doesn't offer you, uh, Sam Altman um, um, wrote or uh, in an interview said, they had to change it um, um, the way it's working or Khan had together with uh, Sam Altman, they had to change it. They don't wanna show the solution. They wanna help you nudge you in the right direction. Yeah. And it's it's working nicely. I, I I had the pleasure to use it. I have to tell you, I would have experienced school totally different. I, I was not in a family that we had access to tutors. Um, so I had to learn it myself. And sometimes it felt very difficult. And um, this would have helped me tremendously. I really like the use case as well. Um, just this morning, I was teaching my son some, some maths. And I went through the problem with him guiding him, and then he he tried to confirm something, some understanding with me. Now, actually, what he was doing was giving an alternative example, but I didn't notice that. And I just wonder, actually, not only are 
there's some things where AI is going to catch up in you know, human beings, but there are some, you know, even with a private tutor, it's not like we, we tutor perfectly. We have our imperfections, and some of those, you know, there are some advantages that um, the AI might um, pick up. And I wonder, actually, I wondered actually after uh, we had that interaction, my son and I, would an AI have picked that up? Um, I even felt a bit as a dad, like, well, there's some sort of, uh, you know, limit to to my help, and 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 computer code might have done a better parenting job in that particular instance, just um, uh, just there. Yeah, it is really fascinating. And presumably you think that, you know, Clippy and Siri and smart speakers and all of those were just full storms. They, you know, I mean, they're, they're technological advancements, but they, they weren't, um, they haven't really, they didn't get to a level, a kind of critical mass of quality that we could really, you know, use it. And now we have hit that critical mass and now it um, takes off. You know, obviously I'm a little bit older than you guys, and uh, I've seen Starship Enterprise, um, um, and I was so fascinated by this um, um, AGI um, in the back that was guiding people, helping people to be better, was a coach in uh, for um, and helping the Captain Kirk to really take smart decisions. He still had to take the decisions himself, but um, but there was always an an AGI, a general intelligence that that helped him taking smart decisions. And I truly still dream that whatever we are doing is heading in that direction. That it helps us to be better humans, and um, it doesn't replace us at the end of the day, but it helps us being better. And in tutoring, I think there is an application that could really do that. I, I was dreaming of, of having school like the old 2,000 years ago, or two, two and a half thousand, thousand years ago in, in Athens, when you, you were discussing problems with Socrates. And, um, and, you know, and he never gave you an answer. He always just asked questions. And, uh, and, but those questions led you to fastly improve your own thinking and i hope it's heading in this direction yeah i've noticed that a lot of the investment that's gone into um ai apps for kids um over the past 10 15 years there's been some quite smart stuff that goes um that goes on but it it's not and it's adaptive but it's really quite limited what you've got with this is the ability to um, and they're quite limited to domains of knowledge, like arithmetic. Arithmetic is pretty closed, you know, a little bit like like chess um, or spelling. That's also closed. There's only a certain number of um, words you're going to test a, a child on. But with this, you can now expand to, I mean, really any topic. Um, and actually, the, the, the question becomes, you know, what do we actually want to restrict, especially, you know, amongst young people? So, yeah, despite um, sharing some cynicism at the at the start, I mean, I agree with you. It's um, it's a very very good use case. It's really positive. Sam Altman, in an interview that he gave earlier this year, was suggesting that as a private tutor, that that may be the best and most um, valuable use case. You know, of all of the many use cases of um, of GPT three and a half as it was then, but and now and now GPT four. And, and and I think he was actively looking for a partnership with uh, Calm. And Khan Academy because he believed this would be a very early positive use case um, uh, that would help to reduce the fear that um, 
ChatGPT will obviously create in, in many aspects and um, would help to uh, reduce those fears. Yeah, it'd be nice to see it proved soon, you know, with hard hard data. At the moment, it's more like, well, we can see the capability that that must do a lot. Um, we're still in the first year of that, so we're not going to have, you know, exam results and hard data to to prove the efficacy of this new technology, but that will come quite soon. You know, it's, it's still, what, 10 months since, I mean, they launched it in, in chat GPT, they launched in, what, November, December of last year, but still within a year, the first year. Uh, I've seen some um, studies now with classes um, in the United States that compared um, how fast children were um, understanding the knowledge they needed to understand. And it, it's quite amazing. The results are astonishing. You will teach differently. From, I'm sure private schools will adapt that immediately because it's just so superior. It, mm. it's, it's amazingly much better. It's, it's, it's more than one Sigma. It's more than one Sigma. Similar things are being used in organizations, in companies, in businesses. Um, not, I mean, not maybe not quite like a tutor because as adults, you know, we're probably less inclined to need that sort of thing. But there is support in like workforce intelligence for identifying the best learning opportunities and the best moments for learning opportunities when you're actually in the flow of work, which is a huge thing in the L&D world. Um, and also identifying your opportunities to grow and to advance and to develop partnerships with certain people and to collaborate and to learn alongside or with others collaboratively. And this to me just feels like the next step up that probably isn't quite as advanced because I, we obviously don't take learning and you know, our organizations as seriously as we do in the education industry and when we're younger. But I, I'm seeing these things start to bubble up where organizations are actually taking in AI to help their people learn. And I haven't had the chance to use these sorts of things, but I mean, what do you guys think about that? Is there a future where learning is as serious in our organizations as it is for our children because we've instituted this sort of AI guidance? I think it'll be a lot more serious than it has been. But I mean, I would just say that, you know, when in education, I mean, that's what the, what the kids are doing when they're, you know, zero through to, um, to 18. That is 100% of their time. I mean, there's some play, obviously, as well, whereas work is, is work um, and learning feeds into work. But I think, you know, it's always going to be a, um, a proportion of the total time rather than, rather than everything. Um, but I think, you know, one of the studies, the other studies that's come out recently, which you might be hinting at, um, Tyler, is this Boston Consulting Group and Harvard study of knowledge workers, specifically BCG, Boston Consulting Group consultants, that were given some tasks, you know, very sort of, they were, they were theoretical tasks. I don't think it was a real world problem, but they were designed to be as real world as it could. Shoe factory, I think it was. Yeah, and some market sizing and you know, typical consultant stuff that you, you get market sizing, writing a press release, um, knowledge worker, you know, um, material. And ultimately the find, I think there were three findings. So one was that um, the consultants were 25% faster at completing their tasks, the ones that had access to um, generative AI. And I think it was uh, GPT-4. Um, they were 40% better. Now, that's how do you decide better? Well, they, the way they judged it in the study was a mix of human and AI markers. And the AI markers and the human markers agreed very, very closely, which is interesting in itself. 
And then the other thing that came from the study was that if you looked at the lower performers and you add AI to their um, toolset and higher performers and add AI, both improve, but the lower performers improve more. So there's a leveling that happens um, you know, through the application of AI in this particular um, context. That study's gone down really well. Um, and I think it's it was one of the first of its kind to demonstrate that just in ordinary work, you know, alongside you, and this, this term co-pilot's used quite a lot, but alongside um, uh, an ordinary knowledge worker can really enhance um, the quality of, of output. I mean, speaking for myself as a, you know, as a user, I, I do see it as a constant companion, a co-pilot now, you know, I have done for about a year, actually, since before we had um, chat GPT, um, because why would you, I mean, if it's useful, why would you not? It's just one of the advantages that you can, and now I would say that I'm, you know, semi-dependent even on it. You know, if you, if you took that away, I would feel vulnerable, weaker. And that, that's now in the work performance, you know, <laughs> one, one small and silly example was um, my children were, um, we speak Spanish at home and the children, because we lived in the United States for five years, speak English with each other. So German was always, now that we came back to Switzerland, German was always a big task for them. And uh, all the communication or every all letters they have to write to, to the tax authorities or military service, they always came to me and asked me, can, Bobby, can you help me? It doesn't happen any longer. The quality of the letters improved so dramatically, it's absolutely amazing. Actually, Copilot starts to roll out uh, to enterprises on November 1st, I'm seeing more widely. And there is there's a lot that's going to be out there. I, ultimately, the way they're pitching it, it seems, I read that Microsoft blog piece on it, uh, which came out a few weeks ago, I think. They want an assistant, a built-in assistant that understands the way you work. So all of your scheduling, um, all of your little tasks, all of the apps and things that you use. The thing that really stuck out to me is that it's going to understand your data, you know, the location of your data and that sort of thing, um, your files and all of that. They they did a very specific study where they figured out how much time people spend searching for files every day, and it's too much. Also, this does bring to mind concerns for me like data privacy and that sort of thing, because that's always sort of a concern when it comes to AI. But yeah, it just what this is ultimately going to do really seems like, you know, are we all going to have assistants sort of at our disposal that just know where everything is as if we had an office, but it's just, you know, our virtual workspaces, that sort of thing. So I think we're moving toward a very different work world, that's for sure. One, one obviously big problem in the learning uh, industry is how do we bring, or for many companies, our young leaders to successfully lead? It's one of the biggest problems, biggest transformations in, in your business life from being not a leader of being the first time a leader and having a group of three, five, ten people. And, and how do you do that? And we see that many are failing in this. And I can really imagine if you would have the, a learning opportunity next to you, a tutor, a, a help, um, not only a, a, a human one, but as well, one that analyzes how you interact in emails and everything, that could help tremendously. And, and obviously, Microsoft is in, in, a, in a very, very, very good position to, uh, to add those functions to 
uh, to their AI tools. What, what do you think, Thomas, of the tension between, which Tyler um, hinted at, between privacy and kind of functionality and convenience? Because we, you know, we all want the functionality and convenience of something doing a really good job for us, with us, and so to enhance our performance. Um, but we do start to feel a little bit uncomfortable about it knowing intimate details. I mean, some of it is quite intimate. You know, when I'm doing something, um, with whom, um, what files I'm working on, how much I'm working. And if you think about who has access to this data, I, I imagine it's a combination of Microsoft and whoever the employer is. I mean, in the case of the employer, the interests won't always be perfectly aligned with the employee. You know, there is a tension um, there. So I, I, I wonder if um, regulation and privacy issues will um, you know, be, be a resistant force to the, the onset of this um, technology or whether we're just going to go for convenience and this the functionality is just so good that we you know we that we take the, the privacy hit and um and go with it what do you think you know I, I was already surprised how much instagram and facebook and tiktok know about so many people so we seem to be willing giving up our privacy quite easily if if the benefits are 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 clear um, but I'm surprised about that um, in, in some aspects I would have, wouldn't have thought that 10 years ago and um, I believe from the moment on the tools will be very powerful many employees will them say, themselves say look it makes me so much better in my work it has to stay within the corporation or something like that I don't want that there are spillover effects to uh, to the web, and that those data suddenly are available on uh, for public on the web. But there needs to be a somehow a, a fencing. Um, but um, for me, within my company, um, I will be willing to use it. And if you, as an employee, don't feel comfortable with that solution, you will always have the possibility to opt out. At least that. That's how I would like to see it. Um, and, uh, but and then you have questions, though, of let's say you've got two employees and one of them's using AI and one of them's not. And the one with AI is doing better. Right? The performance is enhanced, just like the studies are, are showing. That's presumably then going to be reflected in, you know, in compensation and pay and what have you. And you do run into some potentially you know, ethical issues of, well, if I took this stance for you know ethical reasons, I don't want the you know the privacy, but I'm being penalised in my career. Um, I wonder if that will have an, an impact as well. I, I think there are a lot of questions that haven't come up yet. People are just so excited about this new, brand new thing, and we don't really know how best to apply it. There are a lot of very good ideas. Um, so this is all you know over the next well, just you know many years. This is all going to um, shake out one way or, or another, but I think there's a lot of unresolved tensions that will um, need to be resolved one way or another um, soon. Mark, I even believe that we will adapt our the structures of all our organizations to those new possibilities. It could be, you know, when you are leading now a team, five, 10, 12 people, so that's the max you can lead, up to 20, but that then that's really, that's it. Can't lead, 
but they could be that with those tools that's totally different it could be that we see um suddenly merge total different organization models because you can lead differently you know the the, our, our, the way our organizations are organized is still based on this tailorism at the end of the day where you say uh, this is your job and i control you obviously not always like that but you try to empower you give targets management by objectives and everything we, we are a little bit further on than taylor but still still it is somehow a, a, a giving task and um, giving power and controlling a job and empowering job and and it could be that with the help of ai we can organize we can come away from that quite dramatically i think that's true in the workplace i think it might even affect dynamics at home it's also maybe most obviously true in the classroom for kids where there have been moves towards a you know a flipped classroom and different kinds of models but if everyone's got a you know a personal um tutor that has near infinite knowledge um the structure of classroom education can and, and probably should change because i think with that people have been saying that for a long time i imagine you've had thoughts along the uh, along those lines um uh, thomas that you know this is imperfect but how do you change a system that's you know we've, we've had for for centuries it's just it, there's so much inertia you need a very big change to give us the data and the bravery to um uh to to change the education of something change something that's so important the education of our kids but this might be that technology as i i said before i believe places where private education is possible and, and those institutions will experiment with that early on um, um will sooner or later find a way to organize differently and will have much better results and uh, and because here in switzerland we have a lack of teachers you you have a really a real problem to find enough teachers i could even imagine that some communities because it's organized on community level in switzerland and and state level not on um, on government central government for all switzerland so i could that some communities and states are early adapters in some classes and do experiments i wouldn't be surprised switzerland is quite well known for doing things like that and maybe the, the role changes where they're you know more supervising teaching that is going on in a in, in a classroom rather than um so yeah the supply demand dynamics might um be shifted as well yeah. it is it's a little bit like we're watching a film and a really exciting thing has happened um and we're all just on the edge of our seats what's going to happen next you know i feel like a bit with this that we're we're watching and observing too. It's very hard for me to divorce what's happening from what has already happened with technology that I sort of was, you know, that I grew up with. So like social media, big part of my life using Instagram and Facebook and all those things for a while now. And the, the paradigm for me when it comes to like ethics and regulation, as we were initially talking about there is, or the example that I think of most is in my marketing background, I understand that Microsoft advertising succeeds very well with a certain niche, and that's 
generally older people who are kind of using those machines because Mac and the Apple MacBooks have kind of taken over the, the younger generations. But enterprises are very susceptible to Microsoft ads because of the distribution of Microsoft computers and OSs to companies at large. That's where they still succeed very well in their in their marketing and sales is with enterprises. So that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. The OS is ultimately, you know, it's like an office. It's a virtual office. And what they're seeking to do is take all the things that you do in your day and put it into the computer. And in so doing, Microsoft and Apple too, but anybody who creates an OS has created a system of advertisements that you see there. So every time I open up my work computer, I get a little ad from Microsoft, which is, it's usually like a travel destination or something like that because it's the background of the screen where you log in. And it says, wanna learn more about this cool destination? And you can click that and it will take you right there in Microsoft Edge. And then from there, you're in Microsoft Edge, you're automatically using the Bing system and now you're getting Bing ads from there. And to me, this is how the sort of advertising system like subtly infiltrates our world. Like we're all kind of aware of this now and we can automatically, or we can switch things from whatever search engine or whatever browser we wanna use. But I'm thinking like, is the next generation of technology that starts to come into our work life, this AI system and like co-pilot, is that going to figure out a way to take that data of when we're doing what, at what time and, and with whom, and start, you know, sticking little ads in there. They're gonna figure out a way to do that as well, much like they have with the OS. And I, I sometimes fear, hey, maybe the next generation of sort of like tech regulatory, you know, this CEO is testifying in front of Congress now is gonna be like Sam Altman talking about how ChatGPT is now inside of our uh, just day-to-day -day workspaces and that sort of thing. So you guys ever have thoughts about this? When AI is taking up so much of our attention, and it's helping us so closely with our work is that sort of influence of advertising and you know the things that we see on social media and television and all of our media is that going to be something that we have to think about regulatorily is that where we're going as well it's got to get paid for right so you know we can't get these benefits technological benefits um without it being paid for somehow and that's why you know we all almost all of us opted into Google and the web and search, and we do pay for it through you know, Google ads and some other revenue streams that they, that they have. Um, and you, know, you might say that, um, and obviously, that, like you said, the, the same has happened with social media um, and there's controversy um, there. But you know, really what's going on is that you're letting this technology get closer. The reason it can help you is that it's getting closer to your brain to your mind, that brings the benefits. That also means, that also brings a big opportunity to get you to change your behavior in some way by this, by that. So unless it can be economically resourced without that, I think that the same thing will happen. I mean, why would it be any different to um, you know, Google ads, um, social media, Facebook ads? Um, uh, this is the, the same thing, it's getting closer to our to our minds, that's, um, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, Dave, Mark, I, 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 what you are describing is a possible way, but we have to be very careful that, you know, because with AI, you have the possibility, not with like Google Ads, where you're searching for something and you know the first five or 10 links are sponsored and on the right-hand side, you have some ads and they know what you are interested in. 
it could be that um, the influence is being taken at a much deeper psychologically deeper level you know that um, the information and the solutions you you see will lead you over time in the direction of this or that and that would in my opinion undermine a big value of 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 ai if it's used properly if at the end there's a product or a political agenda somehow embedded into um, the large language model that would be very sad for me i would really i would really struggle then uh, to use it the way i've been using it until now but even now thomas you've got um microsoft's own almost half of OpenAI. now they can have a they can ring fence um the work in theory but there are also some design decisions that go into you know the training data so what training data is, is is available? Is that the kind of training data that is going to benefit um, Microsoft and Bing and LinkedIn Learning and you know some of the the, the brands and um, uh, and companies that lie within Microsoft or not? I guess what I'm saying is that you know even now there are questions about um, bias in all sorts of respects, but one of them in terms of commercial bias and, and potentially in terms of you know, bias towards um, Microsoft. And it's quite hard to test for this sort of thing. So I, I, mean, I completely agree with you that um, what I would like as a user is to have a, you know, a, a pure um, agnostic technology that really is on my side and trying to help me and not having the you know, motivations of, of, of others. Um, but when others have engineered that technology and others are paying for it. I just wonder if that's the way the world works. You know, um, obviously there seems to be that sooner or later every big company will have their own AI um, as well when we are looking at the possibilities. In Switzerland we have many pharmaceutical companies and they don't want to share the data with us, their insights. So, But they want to teach a large language model because it seems that one of the big uh, opportunities we see is helping to to guide um, research um, through insights you are gaining uh, with the help of, of, of AI. And they don't want to share those large language models with others. That's why they spent those 50 to 100 million to ramp up their own. That's why um, some companies uh, that pr are producing those Chips, NVIDIA, for example, just had um, an incredible run this year. And, and one professor of the University of St. Gallen came to us and said, Thomas, could you help us, for example, to establish a test scenario to test all those large language models if they are still producing the right knowledge? Because we are searching always new um, new content and you have to test it with fresh content and i think one of those tests will be sooner or late i don't know if we are heading in this direction it was just an idea but um uh, one test will be how strongly is now this large language model or this um uh, hei um influenced by some 
corporate interests or or government interests or is it still independent yeah so detecting bias detecting bias absolutely detecting bias because over time this could happen without you even want it to happen just by the content you are using to train um, um, that large language model but you have to be aware of that otherwise you can't use it um, properly in a corporate environment in the long run. But it is very hard, and I, I'm I'm sort of saying all these negative things. I'm look at, like I said at the start. You know, I'm a big, I'm I'm a really enthusiast um, and adopter personally and professionally of these technologies. But um, I play chess. I played ch chess since I was a kid. Um, and if you're a chess player, especially over that period of time, 80s, 90s, and then last 20 something years. One thing that we've noticed is that computers were worse than the best human players. Eventually, they overtook in the late 90s, um, and now they're you know now you don't even have matches between um, the best computers and the best um, human beings. Mm -hmm. One of the changes that um, took place that enabled um, really rapid improvement of uh, chess playing computers was using neural networks. So moving from rules-based engine, which basically are really understandable in terms of humans. They'll say, well, this position is good because I've got more space for my for my bishop and my king is safe and exactly how a human being might um, might rationalize the, um, the chessboard. But when they moved to a neural net and basically the alpha zero um, uh, model, one, it was a lot more effective, but two, you just couldn't tell why it made the moves that it made. And exactly the same with all of so yes, we want to detect bias, but it's it's practically impossible in a neural net, almost by by definition. You're giving it training data. You've got a very sophisticated neural net, net which um, you know, may have ways of improving itself, and you let it run, and, and hopefully you like the results. But if you don't like the results, then on what basis are you judging that? Because you can't go back into the rules and say, oh, there's this calculation here, and we just need to make that, that adjustment. Yeah, it's it's not any longer if then you know <laughs> started programming basics and it was if this happens then do that and, and those programming those neural networks will be um, different and the results will be different but what's important for me is for the user to understand what biases exist you know um, if if you're talking to a person that's not different than talking from me from me to Mark or to Tyler. I would like to know who they are. What is the personal view on some important topics? Do they believe that human rights are relevant or, or not in the background? And, and uh, what values um, drive Mark to take a decision? And, and sooner or later, we need to know from our AI what values and what ideas is driving this AI to, to produce insights. And we, we need to measure that somehow otherwise, because the outcome could be totally different in one um, environment than in another. And you need to understand that. Otherwise, we won't be able to somehow, as mankind, to, to improve. Yeah. And, and there's one issue with the bias that we've just both been talking about 
there's also just in terms of um belief and and too much belief in what the ai is producing in fact coming back to that harvard and boston consulting group study one of the findings was that there was a certain group of human user that started to just rely on the outputs from the ai and because they're very often you know really believable so it's not just that there, there might be some bias in there just they're not really checking like after a while you, you just okay i'm just going to let it um let these answers uh go and that's that i think is a problem for a couple of reasons i mean one if the ai is getting it wrong you don't spot it but also in terms of you know who we are and what we're doing as human beings if we we let the ai take over the thinking and we're just so much a passenger you know there's a question of purpose then Absolutely. That that's exactly that's a very good example. I like it, Mark. I think in this article it's even said that 20 or 22 percent um, the results were in by 22 percent inferior by the people who used AI um, compared to the other group in case the AI was not trained with content that helped to solve this problem. But the users couldn't detect that the AI was not trained with um, um, or was missing that um, that information because it made it up. And yeah. uh, this is obviously very crucial, very, very crucial. Yeah, the hallucinations, which are, they're not just hallucinations, they're very convincing hallucinations, which is the worst, the worst kind. So that's yeah. why it's kind of fun at the moment. We need to be, you know, it's co-piloting because it's exactly that. You can't fully trust the other pilot. Um, you need to stay aware, but there are some benefits um, too. So let's let's talk about the organizational for a little bit. We have about 15 minutes left. The two of you are founders and leaders of businesses, and you're engaging with this every single day. Thomas, I see in our chats how sort of fervent you are about keeping up to date with what's happening in AI, how many questions you get and how it's impacting businesses. And I think mostly what I see in the news when I'm looking at other leaders that are, that are advising the economy and the industry is a lot of concern. Um, the SoftBank CEO out in Japan said something very out there the other week saying, you know, if you do not learn rapidly as an organization or as an individual, you will fall behind and you will in fact be forgotten. Like sort of like a pretty, you know, macro social uh, warning there. But, I, you know, a lot of different authors and writers are saying, like, you need to be, as an individual, willing to learn, willing to adapt here more than ever in the past. And as organizations, you need to move fast on these things because other organizations are going to move fast. And it just feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy where we all need to take serious, rapid action. We have a, uh, an abstract on a book called Rewired. Um, the author says that we should have about 70 to 80 percent of our digital talent in-house very soon so we shouldn't be sort of outsourcing as many things but we need to bring those things in-house so that we have more control over the data sets and more visibility on these things that we've been talking about in regards to the ai and the things that we build um, machine learning operations will be very important so incorporating or having people that actually ensure that the ai is developing correctly as it goes when we build things i think about mckinsey who uh, they it was many months ago shortly after ChatGPT 3.5 was announced. Um, they announced their own sort of internal AI that takes all their hundreds of thousands of cases, all the information in there, and turns it into its own little like large uh, language model. And they allow their 
consultants to use that, much like probably what BCG was doing. But for other organizations of different sizes, you know, do you guys agree that we have to be moving really, really fast here, that we probably have to be bringing people with AI knowledge in-house? I know, Mark, you know, you've had an AI tool for a while. You even kind of went up against it, much like you were talking about Alpha Zero and chess. Um, but what do you guys think? Do we have to move fast and do we have to really think about this in a very serious way? Yeah, I think I think we do um, have to. Um, I mean, I know that Thomas and Get Abstract are. Um, I know that we are. And we're talking to a lot of companies that are. I mean, I would also just say, though, that I remember when the Internet became a thing. I was just leaving university uh, then and it was really becoming popular. And there was this talk about, you know, there would be you know, this sort of two tracks. There were the people that adopt it and, and learn more and learn from each other and, and just become this sort of like hyper educated class. And then there'll be everyone else. And that was a wrong analysis because the Internet was so useful to everyone. Not just useful, entertaining to everyone. That it was it, it, that it had wide scale, you know, um, near total adoption. We, we as human beings, we, we we adapt to what we need to do. It's a survival um, instinct. So I think if this really is as groundbreaking um, and useful, it, there, it won't be that there are some people that just ignore it. It'll be that everyone just comes on the course. Some people will be faster, some companies will be faster, but that in general, the motion of travel will be very much towards this version of AI um, and the various developments that, that come. So yeah, we're moving fast and um, I'm enthusiastic, but I think um, I do think that everyone will come along, not because they, not even consciously, but because it just is a, a much better, um, more effective way of going about your, uh, your life. But do you feel that some companies will be left behind if they don't move faster and keep up with the competition? I think a lot of people are more concerned about that these days. But I don't think absolutely. I don't think well if they if they if they're six months too late then they you know go out of business. Um, they're six months too late that will cause them some issues down the um, down the line and they'll be behind. But just like some bad business decisions will um, you know cause you to lose out to some of your competitors. Um, and then they will, you know, they will level up and some maybe don't move fast enough at all and, and they will actually go um, out of business. But I think that'll be the minority because the evidence will be so, you know, the difference between this technology and some of the um, AI developments we've seen over the last 25 years is that, or one of the differences is that you've got hundreds of millions of people using this. You never had that with any of the other um, developments of AI. So just in terms of pure numbers, it's kind of inescapable and it's obviously it's continuing to grow. So I think it's just, um, this is one that human beings are opting into and there'll be winners, there'll be some winners and losers, but everyone's gonna come along. Thomas, what do you think? There's some different points uh, that you have to look at. First of all, or at least I tried to look at it from different angles. One is an individual and the other one is a company. Okay. I think people, individuals, mostly the people who can use it, at least I see it in schools now, uh, scholars, they use it. Or many, many. Uh, I, I think ChatGPT was the fastest used application 
in the history of IT within uh, three months. I don't know how many were using it, but it was an adaptation rate that was just mind-boggling because you immediately felt it make it makes your life easier in many aspects. So, uh, so, uh, so people will immediately adapt, and they are using Dali and and all the other tools that are out there, and you you see daily now coming out new new stuff. Obviously, if you are a, a software engineer, you're using it because it increases your productivity tremendously. Um, so that that's one aspect, and I I believe um, many. Um, fears are not even coming from this side. I think the adaptation on corporate level, um, if it has an impact on your business model, um, if you are now suddenly in a in competitive situation to what um, AI can do and um, with your value proposition, that's a much more difficult task to solve. Okay, so, or even on, 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 on nations level, um, imagine that India was the service center for the world. Um, we introduced now two months ago or three months ago a Q&A AI that the first application at GitAbstract was a very easy application, just Q&A uh, application. We feeded it with all the questions we had over those 20 years, with all the answers we had. And guys, it was immediately so good so good that people who were working for get abstract in cases somebody couldn't put in his credit card number it's a really really problem huh? really problem and for some nations who are now heavily in this servicing um, um, uh, region adaptation will be quite quite um, quite the tough one and you've made me think actually that you know, you've, you've reminded me, Thomas, that um, you know, whereas I, I was saying before, well, you know, everyone's going to pick it up. There are certain industries where you need to be so on top of this, um, like some of the, you know, customer, um, customer, customer services and, you know, automating that. It's just, you know, it's, it's really a big part of, or going to be a big part of your industry. I mean, possibly within, you know, 12, 18 months, um, you know, massive, massive change. So there are some is where you've really, really got to be um, on top of this. Massive changes, yes. And you, and if you are not doing it, you are out of business, finished. As well, I, I believe one of the industries that is as well directly attacked is the learning industry, to be honest. It, this, what's happening, is disruptive for the learning industry. And we will see solutions that are so much better adapted to help people to learn faster in schools and in, in, in uh, corporations. Um, this is, it, it will be mind-boggling, will be mind-boggling. So if you don't adapt that, I cannot see a big future for you within the next two, three years. In learning specifically? In learning specifically, yes. Yeah, yes, I was yes. going to ask you that question, what sort of time scale do you think that's over and you think two, two three years? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, my impression is that, you know, from the people in learning and development that I speak to, um, and because we're a tech business, we're generally talking to those that are more, you know, interested in um, AI. But in general, they say there, there's a lot of interest, but uh, 
you know, where it can be deployed best, um, how to trust it, that, you know, the questions are still there kind of 10, uh, 10 months on. Um, so I think 2023 has been very much more about um, awareness and getting people a little bit more comfortable with the idea and, and obviously some experimentation. I think 2024 will be a year where there are some deployments that are starting to really you know, get some traction and possibly the following year, you know, some major changes, you know, some businesses that have been big businesses in our industry um, may not exist anymore. Um, simple as simple as that. Um, that probably won't be in next year so much, but I think, yeah, 2025. So similar sort of time scale to you, Thomas. Mm -hmm. and, and as well for us, get abstract. We, we move now into micro learning heavily and, um, and uh, learning of helping groups to learn together more efficiently. The human interaction is still very relevant on the one side of, of our business model where we use our abstracts and all we, what we have learned. We just launched um, this AI yesterday or the day before yesterday that's trained with all our abstracts as um, um, a search function plus or search AI function. And then on the other side of our business model, obviously, sooner or later, somebody needs to figure out what knowledge on the web that's available for free is really fake free and what is not. So what we are doing now for 25 years for books and podcasts and videos, we will just um, do now for, uh, for all the content that's produced out there and say, look, that's certified. We tested it, we looked at it. So, but we have to adapt, we have to adapt. We do have one really good question from one of our audience members about learning more individually. And if we can circle back to that, I think that's a good way to finish up. Jillian asks, how do we combat if we move into using AI in education that we won't be training our children to become too reliant uh, on trusting of the AI and just, you know, becoming passive learners in that sense? So how do we teach our children to keep that co-pilot mentality and really question if the information is accurate and actually makes sense? We talked about how Conmigo kind of is being built with that concern, um, moving people toward the answer. But you know, different disciplines, that's gonna be a much bigger challenge, especially sort of, you know, the non-positive sciences, the less hard sciences, um, abstract things. But ultimately, what do you guys think about that? How do we make sure that our children don't just become sort of complacent passive learners if they end up using a tool like that? I'll just say two quick things, Thomas, if that's why um, I jump in. One is that um, in the immediate term, we can point out some of AI's failings, like, you know, these um, uh, hallucinations, um, Sometimes it doesn't get the, the logic of quite simple maths, right? So, you know, there are just some examples where you know, it's not working out here. Um, and then longer term, I think we do need to reconceive what the strengths of human thought and human capability are. But once we do that, then we, we stress that those are the areas where, you know, we, we really need to sort of retain our autonomy and um, uh that's a strength relative to AI, make that make that known. So I think that's part of the education and that will be part of how education changes over the um, you know, coming months and, um, and years is understanding where, where we're good and where our AI is, um, is, is much better. And then of course, there's more and more of where AI is better, but it won't be everywhere. What I would like to add as well is, is the following. You know that the learning part of school or of university or college the learning part, what is Pythagoras and what does it mean 
a square plus b square is equal c square and how to solve now um, to calculate the triangle and all that. This will be done very efficiently with the help of such tools. I think, um, um, and I spent dozens of hours in school to learn it, and this will be very efficiently done. But what this allows us at the end, it frees up time to have much more meaningful discussions in school. And, and, and suddenly, Socrates-like um, discussions again and, 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 and type of schooling. And there, obviously, one important part will be what is true and what is a lie. Um, and philosophy, suddenly, that was moved out of many curriculums will again be an important part how to discuss and reason and, and to detect what's right and wrong and how to develop our society and, and, and how to raise children and discussions and the ability to talk to each other that we totally lost in many of our societies. It's not taught at school, but we will suddenly have the time to do so. If we are more efficient than the other one, we will have time to do the really important one where we feel so much pain right now that it's not working. So I'm very, very, very positive on the possibilities how society can move, in what direction it can move if we use it properly. It's like every invention. It, a hammer can be used to put the nail into the wall and fix a house and it can be used to to slash somebody on his head. And it's, it has several possibilities, but I truly believe we as mankind are capable of using it properly and taking a full advantage out of it. Keeps <laughs> finger crossed, yes. Thank you for that message, Thomas. That's a great way to wrap up, I think. Everybody for attending, thank you so much. Uh, we are finished now. And uh, just for your knowledge, we do have one more session next week. It's gonna be with Stephen Miller, author of Working with AI. So we're going to do that next Friday. This session here will also be made available as well all of the sessions that we've done over the course of uh, Get AI. They'll be made available as videos subsequently. So probably in about a week or two and you'll receive emails about that. But again, thank you so much for joining us, Thomas and Mark. It was a pleasure chatting with you guys and I will talk to you all offline. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to L&D in Action, a show from Get Abstract. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player to make sure you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a rating, leave a comment, and share the episodes you love. Help us keep delivering the conversations that turn learning into action. Until next time. <laughs>